0: Hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of Note with yours truly Deterrence. I'm so excited for this episode because we we did two things. So we have an interesting topic which is uh, experts and their cultural heritage and we have our second guest of the show. So, as you know, when you move into a new country, uh, one of the main challenges is integrating the new society that you find yourself in. And we are trying to have a discussion as to how do you achieve that? and still stay true to yourself and connected to your cultural heritage, to your roots. And this is where our guest comes in. So our guest is a Canadian-born Jamaican who lived in Canada, in the U.S., and is currently based in Shanghai. He is the founder and CEO of Oligai Enterprise, which is a company that specializes in personal diversity and coaching. So Colin has um, a lot of experience and he's been around for much longer than I have, so probably has a lot of input with regards to marrying these various cultures that he's interacted with. I really hope that you enjoy this episode, share this with a friend, and leave a comment wherever you, you deem necessary. If you want to maybe share your own experience with the, with this topic, or you just want to tell us what we could have done to improve it, we welcome every single one of them. So my guest today is Colin C. Thompson, And uh, we are going to have a long discussion about this topic. You're going to hear a lot about his experience. You're going to hear a lot about his company and what he does in in the line of coaching. And you're also going to hear about his take on the topic of trying to integrate a society and staying in tune with your cultural heritage. I had fun interviewing Colin. Um, I hope you have fun uh, listening to this episode. And uh, without any further ado, let us jump in and... uh, have a lovely day, stay blessed, and we'll see you for the next episode. Hi, Colin. Um, thank you for joining us. I uh, hope you're doing okay. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm here in Shanghai. It's uh, The weather here is tremendous. It's a little chillier. Mm-hmm. I think, um, well, you know Celsius. So I think today we're about 22, 23, so perfect
0: day for a nice mm-hmm. run. So I'm doing That's good. Pretty really good. Yeah, I I'm, mean, I'm in, I'm in Frankfurt here right now and it's like uh, 10, 12 degrees, so a little bit colder. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting ready for winter. And uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So just for my for my audience, uh, would you mind just giving us a very brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and uh, and then we'll get right into the, the heart of the matter.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, David. Um, my, name is, my name is Colin Thompson. I am, uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I now say that I'm a father, a husband, Entrepreneur. And I want to say I'm a pretty inspirational person. I like to think I am. Uh, perhaps I'm not. But well, your audience will be able to tell by the end of this interview <laughs> today. I um, I call myself a double immigrant, but that's not, it's not really true. My parents were double immigrants. My family has Jamaican heritage, Jamaican background, and they um, immigrated from Jamaica to Canada. I came out, I was born in Canada, and then we immigrated again from Canada to the United States. This is back in the 80s. So, I spent the vast majority of my life in the United States. Uh, then, about 12 years ago, well, I spent my, my uh, time in the US in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, then, when mm-hmm. I graduated, I went to university, Howard University in Washington, D.C. I'm quite sure you know of Howard, it's HBCU. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah, say yeah. DBC, H-U. yeah HU, HU, the Mecca. <laughs> um, which really, going there, really, I can say, changed my life. And I think that happens to a lot of, a lot of, uh, black people who go there, because that's the first time for a lot of us we learn knowledge of self, we learn the true history of Black people, we learn the true potential of Black people, so mm-hmm. I say that definitely changed my life because from going to Howard, the very moment I stepped on campus, I started to believe, and all my family went to Howard before me as well. I can say when they came back during winter break or whatnot, they were different also. Uh, right. They come back and give me Howard shirts and you see, the, you know, the black fixed on and things like that. So I want to say that we grew up in a household where we were always belief that you can do anything you put your mind, mind to, which is a very important part of my life. Um, I then uh, uh, graduated Howard in 95. I went to work in IT, uh, IT consulting background. Mm-hmm. I went back to Howard around 2003 uh, to work there, uh, first oh. as, the, as the director of technology for the School of Business for about a year. And then they they asked me to go down and work directly to the CIO or with the CIO um, uh, as a senior project manager. So I did that. And luckily at Howard, it's a beautiful thing. If you work there, they have this thing called tuition remission, which means if you work there, you get a major, major discount if you want to take classes. So I said, hey, I'm going to be here for a number of years of working. I might as well take classes. So I did get my uh, MBA from there, also a double MBA in supply chain management and e-commerce. Wow! And that's very important because I've always had this dream or desire to work and live abroad. But how do you get there? You know, in, 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 realistically, how do you get there? There's two concrete ways. One is through university. You go there mm-hmm. for a study program, or you go there for a short-term work contract a major multinational company, and you go there for a a, a number of months, a number of years. Luckily, um, majoring in supply chain and e-commerce, IBM was a perfect fit. So in 2006, I joined IBM into their management training program, and about a year and a half later, they shipped me off to Shenzhen, China, which is the manufacturing hub of China um, in in the southern part of China. I landed there uh, literally November or December 31st, 2007, yeah, yeah. and I've been here ever since. I'm in Shanghai now, but I wow. started there. That was 12 years ago. So that's my story. Well, almost my story. In 2018, I did start my uh, launched my own uh, uh, conglomerate. I say conglomerate, but it's only two branches. <laughs> <laughs> one branch in Shanghai, yeah. one branch yeah. in the US. But we okay. do we do business, yeah, business consulting, uh, life coaching, and training. So it's um cool. it's an uh, interesting um interesting lifestyle now, pivoting, I wouldn't even say pivoting, but continuing uh, to to align myself with the life that I think is best for me and my family. So
0: I'm, we'll go into that more. So that is my short, short story of who I am. That's, that's quite, that's quite a story, man. And uh, quite impressive as well. Like, you know, with the, with, um, you know, pursuing the Masters, the double Masters and, and being open to, you know, to learning more like, you know, getting more knowledge out there. Um, and just, um, you know, life coaching, uh, was that something that you're always passionate about or is it something you, you you decided from a more strategic point of view, like this is something that would be more, uh, you know, bring more revenue or was it just something you, you just felt like you, you're passionate about it and you wanted to go, go after it?
1: I would say not at all. I was not interested in life coaching. I was actually skeptical about life coaching. I remember about... Six, seven years ago, I was at a little casual birthday party and yeah. we were doing introductions and I was having a conversation and a woman said she was a life coach. In my head, I'm like, oh,
0: life coach? <laughs> yeah, what <laughs> is that? I was like,
1: what kind of I what told kind I brother made
0: up? yesterday, like I'm interviewing someone who's a life coach and he was like, what do you mean? I'm like, life coach. She's like, okay, I'm looking forward to that episode. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What kind of made a superhero superhero job as a life coach, and that
1: was about six, seven years ago. So about about ten, I got pulled into it, I, and literally, I got pulled into it. I have always been very big on motivational speaking. If I had my dream jobs, it would be two jobs: a high school wrestling coach, which is a totally different conversation, yeah. and I would be a professional motivational speaker. Ever since I was, I would say, high school, college. I was very good in sports. And when you're the best player or when you're a leader on your team, the coach will always tell you, go motivate your teammates, get them ready. So from a very young, young age, I was very big on motivation and trying to help people think out of the box. Again, my family and I, we didn't have the PTSD, the post-traumatic slavery disorder that a yeah. lot of African Americans have in the U.S. because we, we, we didn't grow up there. So coming from outside, you have that belief you can do everything. So and that's very that's very important because you, you tell people, hey, you can do anything that you put your mind to, but you have to believe that when you tell them that. So mm-hmm. motivating people have, has always been a big part of who I am. Luckily, I was always consistent. So people would call me and say, Colin, you know, I have a job interview or have this thing. Help me get motivated for it. No problem. I would do it. And then I'd find a few months later, they call me again, need more motivation. Now, at the time I said, hey, this is is interesting. I'm the motivation Mm -hmm. man. I'm I'm the inspiration man. I loved it. But. I kept finding I have to motivate people always, always, always over again. So I knew that motivation didn't last. And people say that when people accomplish these things, it's not about motivation; it's about why. Why are they doing it? How that improve their life? But mm-hmm. I was a little bit too young, or not really focused on on that. Then, about I would say in two thousand fifteen, I'm, I'm working in Shanghai. I'm working for IBM, and I was I was asked to, in addition to my regular job. I was asked to spend some of my time becoming an internal coach. Now, this is because people knew that I was big on speaking, motivating, inspiration. They asked me to become an internal coach. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I'll tell you, once I learned the techniques of being a coach and what it was, it was as if another part of my life started shifting, and as we go through life, there are major th- things that happen to us that set us on a new course or sort of help us course correct. It could yeah. be getting into a good college. There's it something that happens to you that shifts it, not changes it, but just shifts it and puts you at a new level. Right, right. And for me, that was coaching. And I'll, I'll tell you why. As I mentioned earlier, David, if you give me one hour, David, I will have you motivated like an MFR. Okay, I'm talking. I will have you motivated. You will think that you can fly. You can't fly, but you will <laughs> think you can fly. That's today. Tomorrow, you'll still be motivated, but four or five days, your motivation yeah. starts to wane. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's not lasting. You have to be very self. You have to be very strong by yourself to have motivation stay stay at a high, at a high level. What coaching does? What I saw with coaching. Coaching says, "Okay, David, what is something that you're trying to accomplish, let's say, in the next six months to a year? Something that you think will really change your life, something that will improve your life or something you've tried to change, but you haven't been able to do that. And once you identify what that is, as a coach, I work with you and I stay with you from now and help you to reach that goal. So I'm not just motivating you and separating from you. I'm staying with you and helping you to achieve it. So as a coach. All the way through, well, depending on how, how far away how far away it is, but typically all the way through. And I'm like, wow. So you're telling me that as a motivational speaker, I can motivate you to do it, but we know sometimes that's not enough. Or mm-hmm. as a coach, I can help you, I, I can help you get through what's blocking you. I can help you get over those obstacles. I can help you identify plan. And more importantly, I can help you be more accountable to yourself and really achieve your goals. And I'm with you each and every step of the way and that changed everything
0: wow so it's pretty now, much like um it's the same like sports you know just you know when you like when preparing for the super bowl or anything you need you you, you gotta I feel, I feel like we do that a lot with other parts of our life but not ourselves you know when we when when people want to achieve things when it's a team sports we say yeah uh, you know listen to the coach drilling. you go to camp and come out and you know you win you win the the, the championship But like you rightly said, some people get hyped up in real life, and then they just the the fire just dies out, and that's where you come to. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's funny we call it coaching, but it's very different from high school coaching. Or not high school, sorry, from sports coaching. And I'll tell you the major distinction: when you are coached, your coach is going to show you how to do it, tell you how to do it, and then remind you how to do it. As a life coach, we typically don't tell you how to do anything. If you say, for example, I do a lot of career coaching and somebody will say, Colin, how should I get started? How does my resume look? What should I do? And I will ask them, I will will ask them certain questions to help them identify themselves what they should do. So as coaches, we don't give advice. And a lot of times people say, you know what, Colin, I want to be a coach. And I say, why? Well, people say I give great advice. Then I tell them, well, you know, coaches, we don't give any advice at all. Like really? But I'm so good at it. I know. I, I know what they need. I, I know what the problem is. I know what they need. And I said, no. You you think you know what they need,
0: right? Yeah.
1: But what you think you know, what you think they need, has nothing to do with what they really need. So it, it's a very interesting. Uh, it's a very interesting. Uh, I would say technique that we use for coaching, but it is very effective.
0: What has been your? I would say, have you? What has been your most biggest challenge? You know in in this since you've been coaching have you had any particular challenges that made you take a step back and you know reevaluate maybe the techniques you're using and stuff like that (laughs) the biggest challenge i think for
1: i've been coaching now on my own for about two years i've been coaching overall about four years the biggest let me say no i've not well I've, I've hit some walls, I've hit some challenges, but nothing that made me take a step back because okay. I don't believe taking a step back. I've had some challenges that have made me think, which way do I go now? And I sought help to understand what best to do. But the biggest challenge I've had as a coach and a lot of coaches go through this one is getting that consistent set of new clientele, 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 mm. clientele, clientele. Mm. clientele. Mm as you talked about, you said, this is 2020. You talked to your brother about life coaching and he was like, what is that? So a lot of people still don't know what life coaching is. But I can tell you, compared to last year, compared to two years ago, many, many more people do understand what life coaching is. So so people are are understanding that. But the biggest biggest challenge is, and this is where, this is what really ends the coaching journey for a lot of new coaches. Mm -hmm. Coaches forget That this is a business. You can be very good at coaching people, you can be very good at helping people to identify where they want to go and help guiding them there, but you may not have the same skill set in growing and running a business, because Mm -hmm. this is a business. If you're coaching and you're not getting any money, it's a hobby. okay? hobby you don't get paid to do, but this Mm -hmm. is a business So you have to understand how to balance your books, how to do marketing, how to network. You really have to understand that you have to put the same amount of effort into managing the business side as coaching. So Mm -hmm. great coaching skills. I've seen some coaches who have great coaching skills, but they give up because they don't know how to do marketing. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to really um, um, identify a good program to identify a, a consistent set of clients. So the biggest challenge I've had, and I'm still having, is is getting that consistent set of clients. I have clients, but having a waiting list, so to speak, is what every coach wants, and it's very hard to hard to establish that in the first few years.
0: And yeah, just to piggyback off that. So how has the you know we're currently, unfortunately, in a pandemic right now with COVID? How has that affected you know your ability to you know to to basically uh, do what you you just said of trying to Continue to grow that that client client list. Uh, exactly. Do you think that due to COVID there's a higher need for life coaches because people are you know people don't know how to deal with this situation right now? If, if, if I'm being honest, yeah.
1: yeah. If you would ask me that back in look at my calendar, back in April May, I would have said yes. I think there's a higher need of life coaching now. But the answer is no. Okay. The, the same need before is the same exact need now. People may. I think that now there's a higher need. And I'll tell you. I'll tell you why I have this belief. If I go back to January in China, that's when COVID hit in China. I'm, I'm sorry, coronavirus. Back in January, it's still called coronavirus, not COVID. Yeah, yeah. I was. I had. I was actively coaching, and I told some clients here in, in, in China that we need to stand back and take a pause because I need some time to make sure my family's safe. There's this thing out there. We don't know what it is, but coaching is at the highest priority right now. They also felt the same way. They did not feel comfortable coaching either face-to-face or via, via Zoom while this was taking place. So it took a pause. But about a month later, they called back. I had my old clients and friends in the U.S. call me, even from Europe, saying, Colin, this COVID thing is really affecting us. You know, my home, which used to be a place where I would eat, have some entertainment, you know, some food, and sleep. Now, it's my kid's education center. It's my wife's workplace. It's my wife's uh, beauty parlor. It's my kid's uh, school, Uh, um, playground. It's my work environment. Everything is happening now inside the house 24 seven. And I'm not being as productive productive at work. I'm getting a little anxiety. I'm feeling a Mm -hmm. certain way. It's causing me to snap at my kids, more arguments with my wife. So I, how do I manage this time? And so many people had trouble. If you think about where you are, I'm quite sure you guys had some lockdown for a while. Yeah, Those first did. few weeks, those, okay, so I'll ask you, those first few weeks compared to a month and a half later, was it easier to manage those restrictions?
0: Oh no, the first few, I think personally my first few months of the initial lockdown, I, I almost lost my mind. It drove me crazy because we couldn't <laughs> literally step outside, so there's only so much push-ups right. you can do and, and <laughs> guess, uh, um, yeah it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't uh it wasn't a nice. I, I don't have fond memories of those first two months yet. right
1: right only so many push-ups you can do only so many tv shows you can, you can binge watch yeah so people really saying carl can you help so myself and other coaches started doing covert coaching where we help people deal during these covert times but oh. it was a lie it was a lie david and i'll tell you why it's a lie if you said that you know you and your spouse are having more arguments and are bumping heads more during this time, and you need some coaching on how to how to uh, respect each other's personal space and whatnot. What I would say is this is not due to COVID. Mm. If you had if you had issues have issues now, all COVID does is make them bigger. If you had cracks, little cracks in your relationship, what COVID does it puts more pressure on those cracks, so the cracks are going to start to expand. Right. So even, even if you had, had had trouble being productive at work prior or issue prior, all COVID does is make things bigger. So we're not talking COVID coaching. Okay. We're still talking about life coaching. So when you and when you when you do it in that context, people stop putting all these negative aspects on COVID. Now COVID is not positive, mm-hmm. but because it happens, it's still here. There's still things that can be done. So going back to your question, there's still a lot of people who who want coaching, need coaching now. We're trying to make sure that understand that yes, these are the COVID times, but this is still regular life coaching. And the big, I would say the biggest, the the, the most, of my clients now. Previously, most of my clients were coming to me for confidence, or, or they have a a a goal of um, being more productive, or or developing better habits. Um, some were there for career coaching. Now, most of my clients are here for career coaching because people recognize that. The jobs are gonna come back. And right now, either their job, the, the job is gone or their job responsibilities have have, have stagnated.
0: Stagnate, yeah. When that yeah.
1: gun goes off, that gun goes off and they say, okay, the economy is opening back up, everybody's gonna go for the jobs. Yeah. What can you do now to make sure that you are a better candidate than anybody else? So a lot more career coaching now, helping people get ready and get skilled up now because when open, when a gun goes off. Everybody and the mother is going to go for the same job now. Yeah, yeah. Right. How, do you, you, how, you, you, how do you make sure you're a better candidate than, than them? So, so okay. a lot, there's a lot of need for coaching, and, and quite frankly, a lot of coaching takes place even before COVID took place online, right, via Zoom and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. there has been a really, really big impact.
0: Okay, thanks for that. So I want to, I want to um, shift to the, um, the, the, the caucus of, of the call. So the, you know, we titled the experts and their cultural heritage, you mentioned earlier that when you went to, you know, Howard university, you got to finally uh, learn about the black history, you know, and get, um, and, and, and also that kind of gave you an, you know, a, a, a better understanding of, of yourself and also your background from Jamaica and your experience in Canada, I feel like. Uh, my question, I guess, for you is, uh, you know, what has your experience been like, staying in touch with your diverse roots, you know, and cultural heritage, age? for example, right now in China, because you're in a different society, different culture. Right. Uh, what, uh, how has it been to still be in touch with, you know, with your roots, so to speak? David,
1: let me tell you, brother, this is that's a great question. I love it. I love this question, and I'll tell you why. Last Sunday, and, and you know, I was ill last weekend, and last yeah. Sunday, I had the honor. Of facilitating a webinar at 6 p.m. China time, mm-hmm. the person who was sharing, who was our guest, was in Jamaica 5 a.m., and she was my cousin. And she was she wrote a book that talks about the history of Patois, which is a Jamaican dialect the way they mm-hmm. speak. A history of Jamaican Patois and history of some themes and, and about Jamaica. And, and here in Shanghai, I'm a member of the the um, CAC, the, the Caribbean Association of China. So okay. we have Caribbean from the Caribbean here who are forming a group. And I'm a board member there. Excuse me. So I was honored to host my cousin for her first ever uh, uh, interview book sharing outside of the Caribbean. Well outside, well, outside of, I would say in China, in Asia. Okay. And I was proud to have people here on, on that session, Chinese people, Caribbean people, European people, all hearing her talk about Jamaica and our heritage, heritage and our culture. Most people over here know about not even Bob Marley. Most Chinese don't know about who Bob Marley is, right? Wow, that's But, huge. They, <laughs> but they do know who who Bolt is. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. They yeah. Do yeah. know Hussein Bolt, so they have an idea of Jamaica and they're very open to learn about the culture. So you talk about uh, remembering our culture. This goes back to, I mentioned my, my parents left Jamaica. I would ask my parents a lot, so will you guys go back and retire to Jamaica, live there? But like, no, we're not going back to live <laughs> and retire in Jamaica. Because Jamaica is a very poor country. The economy mm. is based on tourism. So a lot of people look to get out, and it's hard to go back. Now, my, yeah. my dad did a great job of going back often to visit. So in my household, one of the things I was worried about is, you know, in my house, you come through the front door, it's Jamaica, it's not like Jamaica. The food, the culture, the music—you are out, it's back to American style.
0: Yeah,
1: so I yeah. was very, very wary, nervous. Of I want my kids to have the history of Jamaica also, because mm-hmm. I'll tell you the truth—I feel Jamaican Jamaican culture is much more rich and interesting than American culture. Oh, yeah. that's because I, I grew up in that, right? So mm-hmm. I have to believe that. So my concern was, how do I, how do I keep that bond going? So about 20 years ago, I started going back to Jamaica, at least once every two years with my father. Um, My mother passed away by there, but going back every few years and making sure that I met the family we have there. Because there's a disconnect. Some family in Jamaica can't come to the U.S., so I want to make sure I I know who they are. During that time, one person who I I rediscovered was my cousin Don, who I hosted last week, which is why it was so interesting for me because that was part of... As you mentioned, making sure we keep that connection. When I got married, before I got married, and my wife is from Hong Kong. Before I got married, I took my wife to Jamaica to meet family. We got married in Jamaica. Okay, and it was Beautiful. very, very important that we got married in Jamaica to me because that is where my family is from. So I want, I wanted to keep that culture there. Now I don't, I don't know. both my parents are gone now. I don't know a lot of my family in Jamaica. They know me more, more than I know them. But and, and being in China, is very hard now to go from China to Jamaica. But we do keep, keep in contact with all our family in the U.S. Okay. But So it's more challenging now to keep, keep the culture there. But one thing I have made it very clear to my wife is my son has two names. He has uh, he, Quincy Chunkan. Chunkan is a Chinese name. And I told mm-hmm. her I want him to have a a... a Western name and a Chinese name, so he knows his culture. It's very yeah. important, he knows yeah. his Chinese culture and he knows his Jamaican, Canadian, American culture as well.
0: Yeah, that's perfect. I mean, I could totally uh, relate, you know, we, when I mean we, my son, like my brother and sister, um, we go home every year, once a year, because I'm originally from uh, from Cameroon, Central Africa. And uh, so we, we, we make it a point to go home once a year yes. for three to four weeks just to, you know, yeah. to get back in touch with, you know, the culture, the people, and then come back. And that kind of, like you said, it just makes you feel connected because at some point in my personal experience, you always feel like you don't really fit in in certain societies, which is not a negative. You have moments where right. you're like, well, I can't identify with this culture and you, you feel like you're left out. And um, right. I, I think it's quite, quite, also quite interesting that you're also trying to put that back to your kids the same way your folks did to you, uh, because I feel like that, that cultural heritage is like your foundation. Like you said, we believe, so by we, I mean uh, those who didn't grow up in the U.S., we believe we can do anything, because our story in itself already proves that we can do anything. Yes. I mean, your folks yes. left Jamaica and built a life for them, so that's a blueprint. So you saw it live, like I can be whatever I want to be. And, um, uh, exactly. So when, um, another thing I wanted to throw back at you is do you reckon like, how does it affect how you interact in a society? So for example, um, here in, in Germany, there is this, um, um, idea, uh, again, this is, you may not uh, relate to this, but it's this idea that, uh, you know, when you raise kids, Example, uh, and you're not your the way you discipline kids has been a big topic uh, lately here. Like, you know, should you discipline sternly or uh, or more relaxed? And most people from our like our generation, so experts who are not from Europe, so we came from Ghana, Jamaica, and everything, right. we you know, we go, well, my folks were stern, and that made me more disciplined, right? And I wanted to ask you, since you're a dad, what's your take on that? Do you believe? In, oh, first of all, how were you raised? Were you raised with a with a, with the carrot or with a stick? Or with the stick.
1: Okay, so <laughs> this is definitely a pill. <laughs> I was not raised for this question. Uh, my mother, my mother, she was definitely. Is this my mother? Would use her hand, right, and spank you for about a half hour. Now, wow. just one <laughs> hit. This one hit didn't really hurt, but she has hit you. Often, I mean, a lot. Yeah. Hit, right, so yeah. at the time, my father would just give me about two or three hits, but everyone was like, like, like a truck. Everyone. Wow. So we definitely got spanked. Uh, I don't, I don't think we got spanked. I said, I, I don't think it was excessive. I, mm-hmm. I do. My father was a very abusive person. A very abusive person on wow. um, so on a on a, on a mentally, physically, emotionally very abusive person. Very. So I do believe that there are abuse things there. If, if I look at my siblings, I'm the youngest of, of of six kids. If I look at my siblings and how they discipline their kids, I don't think any of them spanked their kids. I know my oldest sister did when her kids a little, but I don't really think we were, any of us were big on spanking. And I think it goes back to what who my father was, right? Right, right. We don't, right. Want, to do, we don't want to do anything that's going to get on the abusive side. Right, so, yeah. <clears throat> My brother, my brother asked me asked me two weeks ago if I'm going to spank Quincy, my son. I said, I don't know. I said, boy gotta learn though. We gotta learn. Yeah, right? you gotta learn. Yeah. You <laughs> gotta learn. You know, you gotta learn the fair daddy. But um, I, I don't know. Uh, I think looking at my two brothers and what they did, they won big. You know, they may spank every now and then. they won big spankers to their kids, and their kids yeah. grew up fine. Now that's my belief. My wife, who is hardcore Chinese, hardcore Hong Kong, I worry already that she's gonna go off, right? Because she <laughs> is, she definitely. And her parents, her parents, they they would spank their kids, but I could see with her. She's going to, I I think she's going to be more of the aggressive one when it comes to that. Right, then
0: you got to be the tough one, then you know, you have to balance it out so it doesn't, you know, yeah, it doesn't, really yeah. Well,
1: I, I, don't, you know. I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I think that you have to make a decision either you're going to or you're not going to, right? I would, I would much rather not. But you know, I grew up being very physical myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you could say I used to be a bully, you could say I, I love fighting, so. Mm-hmm. I, the part of me that still believe that, that that kids should be disciplined by spanking, but mm-hmm. I, I I'd like to make a decision that we could find a different way of doing it. So I I, don't, yeah. I hope that we don't we, we don't spank our kids.
0: Right, and then just um, so you, for example, your son is now half Chinese, half Caribbean, American, you know, Canadian. How do you prepare him for the world? I mean, you talked about, um, I mean, there's no denying that the world right now is polarized, especially when it comes to race, how the society views mm-hmm. us, the people. And, um, I may not relate to, um, say a black person who grew up in America and say in Europe, how they see or perceive racism than I do. Cause I, I, I came from Cameroon. We, we didn't really face that much. So my perception right. of racism is a little bit different, but it's still there. Right. So how how do you prepare your kids for what the world has to offer? You know when it comes to this, uh, you know race and cultural diversity.
1: So f- first, I prepare my wife. Right. Because my wife, being being Chinese, she also has no idea why I go through what I why I get so frustrated when I talk about things about the U.S. Right. So I first have to prepare her because she has to know that here in China. Chinese people love Chinese babies. Okay, mm-hmm. Chinese people go gaga, go crazy over mixed babies. You take hey. anything and mix it with Chinese, they love it. My son is the local neighborhood star around here. Okay, <laughs> cool. I'm not. I'm, I'm not joking to you. If I'm if I'm pushing my son past the front gate, all the security guards who are hard old men will stop, play with him for a second. Oh, if I'm walking by myself, cool. they won't say a word to me. Okay, mm-hmm. everybody around here, they know who he is because he's a mixed baby. So, and that means one thing, right? Now, my wife doesn't know anything about how a black baby, a black person, a black kid, a black teenager is treated in the U.S. So I first have to let her know that even though your baby's loved here because of his complexion and he looks like he's mixed, mm-hmm. the same baby, same complexion, same hair in the U.S., As he goes older, he might be viewed as a threat by some people. Mm -hmm. So I have to first let her know and guide her and let her know, look, every time I go to the U.S., I say, whoop, whoop, when you hear police, don't talk to them, okay? Don't respond to police, know where they are. And she goes, why, Colin? And I said, honey, here's why. Is it really that bad? Yes, honey, it's really that bad. So the first thing is let her know the situation. And it's not always fun because this year especially, Ahmaud aubrey George Floyd, every yeah. time something happens, I bring her here and I say, "Watch this," and she's tired of watching it, right? Mm-hmm. And I've learned that because if, if she'll watch it, but well, she still won't feel the same frustration I feel. But mm-hmm. I want her to know this could be your son, okay? So you have to be aware. So the first thing is make make the mother aware, because the mother will also influence the son. Our son. The son, Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's Quincy, um, I think the same thing, because he's growing up right now outside of the US, and I want him to grow up hearing about those things but not experiencing it. Because as you said, when you first went to Europe, when I first went to, to, to um, came to the US, I didn't have the same yoke on my shoulder. I looked at things from a different perspective. Now knowing yeah. when the police see me, they don't give a F if I'm from Camero- Cameroon, South Africa, I'm black. Right? Exactly, they
0: don't care yeah. About that. They don't
1: care about that. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 So he, he's young now, but as he grows up, as he grows up, uh, sad to say, I'm going to have to talk with him about police, about people of other races and what takes place in the U.S. But right now, right now, I'm able to shield him from that. Right. I'm going to shield him from it as long as possible. But I will yeah. get him to the U.S. for the first time next year. But there's not much concern of a, of a, you know, a toddler right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something I, I, I'm also, I, 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 when I become a dad, that's something I have to, you know, deal with as well. So, uh, thanks, thanks for that answer. But what do you say to people? I mean, I've met some fights for um, minority people who, the result of this, um, uh, this, uh, state of affairs with when it comes to how we are viewed, some people literally turn their backs on their, on, on their heritage, right? So they try as hard as possible not to identify with your culture because of that concern of how it's going to be perceived. would you say to
1: those people i wouldn't say anything to them because i I think that because because those people would not be in my social crowd right in my in my my social area because the people who i who i spend time with are people who are are, are like-minded now that that shows a lack of diversity right yeah but i so so yeah i don't really spend time with people who are trying not to be who they are and it's interesting Mm -hmm. because here in China, you have a lot of Chinese people, ABCs, right? American born Chinese. So their parents were Chinese, moved to the U.S. Their parents came back, the kids stayed there, come back now. And they're Chinese through birth or or through the family, but they're not homegrown Chinese. And sometimes they try to spend more time with foreigners than they do Chinese. So you see the you see this. You see this everywhere. Now I wouldn't say they're turning their back, but they're treated differently. Um, some Chinese people, um, if, if you grew up outside China, you know what having, let's say, freedom of speech is. You mm-hmm. know what your rights are. You come back here, and it's not the same. And it's hard to, you know, it's hard to go back into that that square peg once you turn around. So, yeah. again, that's that's not turning the back, but I do know some people who are who are black who blame all of the issues that black people are going through in the US on black people. Okay. They say, you know, they say, well, look, more black people are killing black people. Black people use all, all this negative stuff. Yeah, and just rhetoric. I'll, yeah, I'll tell you what I say to them. Well, this, this, I'll tell you what I say to them. Not a damn thing. Because I just, I've learned in life, you have to, this, this goes back to having what I call unreasonable confidence, being able to maintain motivation. You mm-hmm. have to be able to filter out the noise. And when I was a hot head, I used to be a hot head. When I was a hot head, oh, I would have addressed that guy. But now it's noise now, it's noise now. And I choose yeah. not to let certain things even come into my system. And that's so important because if you think about people who, who want to live the best life, you know, you're doing this podcast, I'm not sure how you've been doing it, but Look, go back to when you first decided to do this. I don't know. Maybe you told somebody your dream. You know, I want to do this podcast. I'm helping people, and somebody says, "Come on, David, you're not a podcast person. That's not your yeah, thing, right?" Tell about and it. And they yeah. try to discourage you. So you mm-hmm. have to know how to filter out the noise. You have to know how how to not even entertain those things. So I I would say that I've learned very well how to be very selfish with content. I let actually stay in my mind and be on my mind. I can hear it, it can go in and out just like that, as if I never even heard it. So I, I would not respond to that person at all. Just like I wouldn't respond to somebody who said, well, you know what? Black lives matter, but white lives matter, all lives matter, cop lives matter. I wouldn't even, and have some black people who will sit there and argue, right? And I'm like, look, well, man. And I was invited to do a, um, a thing a few months ago and really share um uh my view on Black Lives Matter, tell people what it's about. And somebody came in there and the thing was all lives matter. Mm-hmm. And I just said, you know what, this is not the forum for me. Because if I'm here to have to prove to you guys that Black Lives Matter, that's not why I'm here. If right, you want to right. understand what it is, that's one thing, but I'm not here to prove anything to you guys. So I, mm-hmm. I have to go. So you have to really you have we to have, have to that be, strength.
0: Uh, yeah. I feel like you said, being selfish. And I kind of of think it all falls again back to what we're talking about. Like uh, as a community, uh, when I compare the black community with the Asian community, with the Indian community, the way I see the difference is the Asian community and the Indian community, they are very, very close with your heritage. So uh, this is how the Asian community stays. So if you meet a Chinese person in in Dubai and you go to your home, you would see the exact same you know the chinese uh the, the decorations the, the the food they cook they stay connected to who they are right. you right. do the same when you go to the indians and unfortunately uh at least in my experience i don't i de- i don't see that a lot when i meet our 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 culture our our people you know we tend a lot to try to identify with the other race as opposed to owning our own culture and 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 i'm literally standing there and go this is who we are Unapologetically, and right. I think the, if we do that more and we stay connected more, then we we will be able to put ourselves, I believe, in a different in different you know uh, uh, place in society.
1: Interesting, interesting, because I, I've something different. Okay. So I agree with you that in, for an Indian, right, if it goes to my Indian house, you walk in our front door, you smell India, you, you smell the food, yeah. the, you see the TV show, the Indian TV show, it's, it's India. Yeah. Um, now I, w- I wouldn't say I, w- I wouldn't say so much. From my experience going to somebody Asian, I would say if you're going to somebody who's Japanese versus mm-hmm. somebody who's Chinese or somebody mm-hmm. who's from Vietnam, because you know. in Asia you have so many different countries. So, so, but you're correct. If you go somebody, if you go in the U.S. into somebody whose who's parents from Chinese China, and into their house, it's very much chi- Chinese. Mm-hmm. The kids, not so much because they've been assimilated. Exactly. Yeah. If you go in, here in Shanghai. I uh, have several friends from Africa. If I go into their house, I'm eating. I have a f- great friend from Rwanda. From if I go into his house, we're eating nothing but Rwandan food. Okay, oh, nothing cool. but. Cooked by his Chinese wife, okay, who we took to Rwanda oh. to learn how to cook. <laughs> Cooked by his Chinese wife, right? So, so very, very local food. If I go to my uh, African or Black American friend's house, it's just like an American house.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: because he's from America. So I don't know the difference between a Black American's house and a White American's house, subtle things. If, I, But I think that a lot of times, if you look at, like for, for Black Americans, there is no Black American house style. You know, you know what I mean? It's yeah. going to be more American. It, it'll be more mm-hmm. American. Now, I think mm-hmm. with Africans, with Africans, you know, Somebody from Nigeria's house will be very different from somebody from, from, from say
0: Botswana.
1: Yeah, that's uh, I, assume, yeah. I Yeah, I,
0: I yeah. assume, but and I think I you made a fair a, point there, because yeah. the difference is African who go abroad. Obviously, they, as like you said, they like your Rwandan friend. It's easy that way because they have something to relate to, right? Which right. is why I think last year there was this big uh, flux of Americans going back. To, to African countries yes. to get in touch with their heritage, and I believe that's very right. important, so when you identify oh my ancestors were from Ghana, I would say go to Ghana and get to familiarize yourself with that culture, and that's something you can bring back and you know and and and, and teach your fellow uh uh right. um, um, black uh, friends and, and and community because like you said, they don't know anything else that's they know the American ways. there's not really the black
1: yeah yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, first of all, I think we're all from Africa. I wish I knew about the culture. I just learned that my family in Jamaica um, even, um, come, came from Ghana, I believe it was. I, I just learned that. I'm not Ooh, sure. Yeah, I'm
0: um, lucky, right? Ghana is lit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but but what, what, what I'm saying, though, is if if my kids were born in the U.S. and we want to, ch- ch- you know, check their ancestors, you can go back a few hundred years in the US. Mm-hmm. How much time would I spend teaching them about our African history versus telling them, we want to now start talking about our wonderful American history? Because we mm-hmm. now want to say, you know what? Yes, we're African, from Africa, but we also want them to, to start claiming where we are, claim the US as home also. We now want to start having, being able to to, to, to to so how do we identify, you know, in the 16th, 17th, 1800s, Who were the really Black heroes there? How do we let them know more about the history there as well? Because it's great to learn about Africa, and I think we all need to as well. But I I also want them to know about the real beautiful history of Black
0: people in the U.S. as well. Yeah, so they can also feel proud of being, you know, different, you know, in this side of the world. Yeah, yeah. Now, Colin, thank you. I've I've gone way over the scheduled time, but thank you so much for exchanging this with me. Let Um, let me say one more thing. Your yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. sorry sorry, because you started this conversation, so we got to go here. Yeah, one of, the things, <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that has bothered me for years, and still still, I think about all the time. Growing up in Canada, growing up in the U.S., being here in China, anytime we want to talk about the history of the world, they talk about how the great artists were all from Europe. They talk about how the, the great kings and queens were all from Europe. What about the, I want to see movies and stories about, you know, the kings and queens in Africa. You're telling oh, yeah. me that during the Roman-type period, the Greek time period, there's nothing in Africa? Come on, man, get away from that. Yeah, what about true. the story of Africa? When are we going to start seeing those books? When are we going to start saying, look at the history, look at the, the, art, the artifacts, look at the, 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 the everything that took place in Africa now? Yes, yeah, you can say, look at Egypt. Yes, we have Egypt. I'm talking about besides Egypt, right? Yeah, in the yeah. of Africa, mm-hmm. where are the stories that come out of there? There's the, um, the, the one of the one of the richest people ever in the world. Um, I forgot what his name was um, from Africa. Um, this is so bad. I can't I can't even remember his name. Right? Um, Solomon, King Solomon, right? King Solomon, yeah, King Solomon, so King Solomon yeah, Solomon, King Solomon, right? And, but we never hear these stories. So to me, it's even frustrating because. There's no... There, I can't even go and go to YouTube or Google and find the black history, the, the real black history. You can go mm. to museums and see all these artists and these European guys. Where is the Even China has that now,
0: right? Yeah. Where
1: is the equipment from Africa? Yeah. That's what I want to see.
0: We need to be able to tell our story because we can't expect a European to tell our story because they're going to give their version of, of our story. And that's something... Um, we as the people have to do. Now, I'm not sure how. Maybe our scholars need to step up and and, and really put those materials out there because, for example, I don't know much about uh, Cameroon history, like, really in-depth. All I know is what was taught to me in school, but the books which were being given to us in school were written by the French. So we're taking the French version of our story and I'm like, you know, that's not the full story, yeah. Right. So what happened before the whites arrived, before colonization, it's, it's a black hole. Like, we don't know what happened before. Yeah, it's a black hole. It savages.
1: It was, it was a savage yeah. land. Yeah. <laughs> before we land yeah. here, it was a savage land, you know? And yeah, i tell you it, it, the book, yeah. the book, when, when Things Fall Apart, which I read, read several times. When, when things, things Fall, fall Apart, apart i that, that out. Yeah. You read that book, because th- that book talks about that shift. It's about an African chief and his son. Mm. And they were living in the, in the traditional way in Africa, and the Europeans came over with God and said, this is the way you guys should live and believe in. And his son became a Christian, mm-hmm. and his father was an old tribesman, didn't accept that. And and, and things happened, and, and I'm not going to tell you what happened, but that's when they went from having the most traditional way of living to being told, no, 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 you savages, live God's way. And mm-hmm. God's way... It's not the. It's not just the right way. It's the white way. White
0: way, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
1: So, and that's when things we can't began to fall apart on the continent of
0: Africa. So, so read that book, man. It, I'll it'll definitely really, check yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. cool. Thanks. Yeah, but you're definitely right. We we need to be able to go online or flip the flip the TV screen and watch our history. We don't have that yet. And I, I'm <laughs> okay, okay. I'm frustrated. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Last comment, last comment.
0: And I'll, I'll share this because I was, I was surprised
1: by this. So when, when Black Panther came out a few years ago
0: oh, yeah. and
1: I, I asked all of my African friends here in, 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 in China what they thought about it. So I'm, I'm gonna ask you, what do you think about Black Panther?
0: Right, so I'll give you two answers. When it just came out, I was excited. I felt for once uh, uh, there was something I could relate to. Even though it was fictitious, but I, uh, you know, the music, the clothing, how they dress, the expressions, the mannerism. I was, yeah, I, I watched it like five times. But then when I took a step back and watched it again, I noticed like, well, where does it go from here? Like, what was the impact to to me, my daily life? Mm-hmm. And it, there wasn't much of it. So that kind of doubled down on it. But when it just came out, I was ecstatic. I was like, finally. Okay. okay. Movie. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a good perspective. Thank you, thank you. So most of my African friends here, and my, and my friend from Rwanda, the response was, Eh, the column. I'm like, look at all black actors. It's wonderful. But can't we have movies like that back home already? And they were mm-hmm. saying, we already have movies like this, right? So to, to see a movie that's all black actors, African, African um, dialect, um, mm-hmm. nice clothes, to them, we've had this. What's, what's the big deal? Very good movie, but it's a good movie because it's acting, not because of the background and all this kind mm-hmm. of thing. We have movies like, like that all the time. All the time. And I'm like, wow, I never, I never thought about that. So mm-hmm. very interesting.
0: Yeah, but yeah. but we do have movies like that, but Black Panther was more on a global stage. I think that's the difference, right? Yeah. So for example, I grew yeah. up watching a lot of Nigerian and Ghanaian movies and like I said, the movie <laughs> industry in those countries is, is humongous. But it's not on a global stage. Not everybody knows about it. <laughs> so Black Panther kind of put it on a global stage and I was like, That's it. People get to see how not just black like being crackheads, drug addicts or whatever in other right. movies, but actually, you know, the the, 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 the good guys so, for for And then there was just one white guy in the movie. I was like, "There we go. That's more like it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And it
1: wasn't—it wasn't called a black movie, right? It was still a Marvel movie.
0: So exactly. if you go to find Black Panther, you won't find it in a black in a black movie section. Like section yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but I, I think if, if we take more control, so like for example, Tyler Perry has his own studio now, so he has more autonomy mm-hmm. on what kind of shows to do, and then we back these kind of movies. I think we will put away from the Hollywood uh, scene and create our own Hollywood where we don't adhere to their standards. At the end of the day, they have what they call gatekeepers, so they decide what movies to put out right, there. Right, and so if we, if right. If we do more like what Tyler Perry is doing, if we have more Tyler Perry's, we get to a point where we would now ask, me as a black person can choose only to watch these types of movies because they right, more of it right. out there. Yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah, the thing though is I think we have to put movies out that have you Know majority black, not just actors, but the people making the movie, the people yeah, on the set, writers, so yeah. the camera, more, more people color there. But the movie still has to entice a diversity of viewers, exactly. not just black. Because to make make that money, you have to have diversity in your audience. You have to have white, black, Indian, Asian, exactly. all wanted yeah. to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no,
0: cool, good talk, man. Really, uh, <laughs> I really appreciate this. Uh, so again, thank you so much for popping by uh what's gonna happen is uh i'm gonna obviously edit everything once it's ready uh before publishing it i'll send it over to you you can have a you know you can you can listen to it and then obviously we'll publish it and then take it from there i do appreciate your time yeah. and uh yeah, so Dave,
1: yeah. Dave, let me um let me just do a little 30 seconds on how people can find me
0: oh yeah i was about to say that so <laughs> yeah so could you tell our viewers where they can find you on social media and also on your official website
1: Yeah, thank you, David. So the best way to find me is to go to my website, oligye.com, oligye.com. You can navigate how to get get a hold of me. Now, the beautiful thing that people are really seeing, the use of the internet, not just internet, but social media and Zoom have now made the degree of separation very small. Meaning, if you reach out to me today, you can be in a session with me in a number of days, in a few days meaning we we can have a conversation. So um, reach out to me, guys, if you want to learn more about coaching, if you want to try coaching. Um, I do offer initial free, initial coaching sessions. So reach out to me and let's see if we can help you get on your way to reaching your goals.
0: All right, Colin. Uh, Guys, I'm gonna put the website as well in the description of the podcast so you can just, um, you know, get the link and definitely reach out to coaching. As you can, as you listen, he's, uh, he's 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 a great guy. He's got a lot of experience and he's passionate about it. So. Uh, yeah. So David, have you the I, 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 keep,
1: I keep jumping in, I'm sorry, but um, I want I to, okay, so you're in Germany,
0: yeah. you're from Cameroon, and you have, a, you have a British accent. How did that yes. happen? Oh, I studied in the UK. So I left from Cameroon to the UK uh, to do a master's okay. in human resources and development. Uh, I was based in Liverpool, and uh, after my master's, I worked in the UK for four years before moving okay. to Germany. So that's where the the English accent got like really uh, solidified uh, for me. And I've been living in Germany now for four years as well, yeah. Are you in Frankfurt? Yeah, Frankfurt.
1: Yeah. Okay. And here's what I love about my African brothers. Now, I I say I love this about my African brothers. Um, The history of it is ugly. And this is something that growing up in the U.S., we don't have. Yeah. I speak 1.2 languages, English, um, mm-hmm. patois, patois, and a little
0: Chinese, so, so 1.2. Mm-hmm. How many languages do you speak? So I speak English fluently. I speak French fluently. Uh, I speak German, well, medium, I would say. And we have what they call pidgin English, which is like colloquial from Cameroon. So a mixture of right. English and, and a, a, a Pigeon slang. So yeah, right. and I, yeah. So right now I would say two, three-ish, I don't know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> which
1: means which means you literally can go almost anywhere in the planet and be okay if you use yep. spanish
0: you're good right but you yeah, that's my next language in, on the list
1: yeah spanish that's one thing we don't have um most people i meet even from europe typically speak one or two languages it's just mm-hmm. that i find the folks who are from north america canada uh, u.s caribbean really only speak one language and, and it's really mm-hmm. a shame
0: yeah, yeah. I think like you said, it, open, it it opens up the world to you. So you, like you said, you can you can literally find your way anywhere. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. history also means that there's some colonization taking place somewhere, but it's all good. Mm, yeah. You know, <laughs> we, we,
0: we, we are survivors, you know, we, we, we learn to thrive yeah. through adversity. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Colin. Thank you so much again. Have a lovely weekend. Say hi to the kids and the wife. Yeah.
1: Yep. And when will you be putting this
0: um putting this online? When will it be ready? I aim to have this online by uh, the third, no, the last week of November. So I have okay, one episode perfect. that comes out, I have an episode that's live now, and then basically every two weeks, I put an episode out, yeah. Okay, cool, yeah. all right, man. But I'll, I'll pop Thank you an you. email with the timeline after this call so you have an idea when to expect. Okay, great, perfect. All right, you take care, mate.
1: Right, thanks for having
0: me on, bye. All right, stay blessed, bye. you have you guys I hope you enjoyed this uh, episode uh, you found the topic useful and uh, yeah please share comment tell a friend to tell a friend about this uh, podcast check out Colin's uh, socials and also you can reach um uh, side note on all social media platforms just search for side note with deterrence and we're right there for our next episode which is going to be dropping in two weeks we will be talking about social entrepreneurship and we will have yet again another exciting guest uh, this time, it's Dr. Salika, who is an incredible, incredible individual uh, in the social entrepreneurship domain and is also uh, a lecturer uh, in the UK. So, in order not to spill too much of the beans, um, you get more information about that shortly. Until then, have a blessed day and stay productive.